Welcome to the Quality Meet Scotland podcast. Industry updates and best practice to promote, support, develop and protect the Scottish red meat sector. Hello and thank you very much for downloading this. I'm Mark Stephen. In this series of QMS podcasts, we're looking back at some of the things that Monitor Farms have been trialling around Scotland over the last few years and asking what we can learn from them. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the pros and cons of fodder beet. Now, Robin Newlands has Clooney Farm, it's a few miles east of Forest and Murrayshire. He runs a herd of 170 cross-suckler cows and 700 North of England mule ewes, with all stock being finished on farm. This year, he's got 100% of his forage crop sown as fodder beet. Kirsten Williams leads the beef and sheep team within SAC Consulting, along with running her own farm near Huntley. In recent years, as the interest in growing fodder beet in Scotland's expanded, Kirsten's been involved in many trials across Scotland, from Shetland to the borders, and obviously she's growing it herself. Hello to you both. How are you? Very well, thank you. You? Not bad at all, thank you. Not bad at all. How about you, Kirsten? Yeah, good, thank you. Well, thank you both very much for agreeing to do this. Robbie, for a start, tell me a bit more about Clooney. We're an upland LFA farm. We're in a tenant of Murray Estates. My father took on the tenancy in 1983, and I took over from him 12, 14 years later. And uh, I've been farming there with my wife since. As you've already said, we run breeding cows and uh, breeding flock of ewes. We grow enough grain to feed our own cattle out and fatten everything on farm, and that's a very slim-down summary of what we do. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Why did you choose to get involved in the Monitor Farm project in the first place? <laughs> it was kind of by default because my very kind neighbour um, proposed me uh, as a Monitor Farm. I didn't put myself forward. It was a neighbour that put me forward, and they asked me if I would be prepared to do it, and I said yes. What did you get out of being in the Monitor Farm project? I feel that I got more out of it than probably those coming to the farm. We had a quite a big community group that came regularly, and I got the benefit of all their practical experience. When they came to the farm and looked at what we were doing, there was quite a lot of comments about why don't you do this or that, but generally it was... We were not doing inside wintering because we didn't have sheds for the cows or whatever, that sort of thing. And there was a reason why things were happening. But we didn't change direction through the monitor farm, but we changed some of the things we're doing, especially with the sheep. And I benefited, I I would say I benefited quite a lot from their experience and their advice to me, probably more than anybody got coming to see my outfit. Would you say that your outfit is now better run, more efficient, because you were a monitor farm? Yes, we, we've done some things. One of the, the glaring ones is we built a shed to be able to lamb our sheep more effectively and control things at lambing time. We were very exposed to weather during lambing time, and uh, we erected a shed which gave us inside penning and although we still lamb outside and take them into the shed we're far more in control even in poorer weather than we used to be and that that in itself has increased the number of lambs on a fairly consistent basis since that time 
uh, or lambs have percentage-wise probably 10% increase in, in lamb numbers being sold but just because of that move, which was considerable. Kirsten, what is fodder beet? So fodder beet is obviously a crop. I think it's a really exciting crop, to be honest. It is a really high-yielding forest crop that's grown here in Scotland. It's hugely palatable, digestible. It's high in sugar. It's something that was really quite popular a couple of decades ago, kind of disappeared and um, is very much on the rise again. Why did it disappear? To be honest, I am not entirely sure. Um, Guessing, I think it it would be kind of complexities with feeding it obviously electric fencing and such like is is a lot easier to to deal with to get now and it really needs to be fed behind fences to ensure that you get your high kind of utilization of it and that there's not problems with the livestock grazing it. Robbie you're growing beet now but you've tried other forage crops before that but what did you try and why did you give up on them? We graze all our cows outside all winter and we've got light enough land to do it. And we used to grow Swedes, some stubble neeps, and we still occasionally use stubble neeps if we're taking out a field of grass, we'll put in stubble neeps to break up the sod or whatever and graze them off before we plough it through the winter. But Swedes were our mainstay before, but over the last few years, it's become increasingly more difficult to grow Swedes because of the limited number of chemicals for weed control and also flea beetle chemicals have been removed as well. So with the combination of the flea beetle and weeds, it was becoming quite a headache to grow and we've had a couple of crop failures in the past. So the fodder beet gave us more options for weed control and it doesn't seem to suffer quite as badly from flea beetle either. Did you have other options other than fodder beet? Or was that it by the end of the day? Um, fairly much. It, um, we could have grown slightly more uh, stubble neeps, but you were either a brassica or fodder beet. There isn't really a lot of other options other than maybe go to grass or something like that, but not the feed volume per acre that we can get off fodder beet, certainly. Kirsty, you've looked at growing and using fodder beet all over Scotland, but what are the optimal growing conditions? To grow it, you, you really need to be sowing it in a, a good seedbed. It's, it's got to be a good soil to grow it in. You need, obviously, good soil temperatures to, to put it into, but it has been grown from low sea level to high sea level. It needs a good soil. It's obviously got to have a balance of nutrients in there. It's got high potash requirements, so it can't just be any old soil. It, it does have to be better soil that it's going into. Its biggest problem is weeds, and that's its, its hardest thing to fight is weeds. So there's, there's various things that you need to think about before putting it into a field. And how do you cope with a weed problem? Well, it's actually quite useful fodder beet that there's quite a lot of products on the market and you can actually go with sprays pre-emergence and post-emergence and like your your swedes are a bit more limited when you're growing swedes so there is there is a lot of options on on the market to control them there is people growing it organically as well and they obviously deal with the the weeds in a more mechanized way rather than using sprays 
but the the amount of sprays or the options is is a lot more than there is with your traditional brassica. And in terms of growing the the fodder beet, have you found it reasonably straightforward? Was there a problem with weeds? Our soil being a wee bit lighter seems to be quite a weedy type of soil. We get quite a flush of weeds, and the the chemical uh, that we've been using definitely works because uh, we had just the shape of one field. We had a narrow strip. It was one sprayer nozzle width short on the boom and my god you can see the weeds that grew behind that bit that didn't get spray the sprays definitely work and it's kept the rest of the crop uh, remarkably clean as long as that narrow weedy strip is away from the road where your neighbors can't see it that'll be all right it's it's far enough (laughs) (laughs) how do you actually go about using fodder beet at Clooney? what do you use it for Predominantly, so far, we're predominantly cows. We strip graze uh, spring calving dry cows all winter on uh, the fodder beet, and we supplement the fodder beet with initially silage when they go on for start to, to work them onto the fodder beet. But once they've been on for a fortnight or three weeks and they're, they're kind of getting into the way of eating it, uh, we move them onto straw and they're on straw and fodder beet most of the winter. So it's just cows you use it for? We haven't used it for the lambs yet. We've grown fodder beet for three years. The first year we put in one field. We've, we generally grow four blocks of about six acres of forage crops so that we can move on to a fresh field if it gets mucky or whatever with wet weather. Uh, we put in one patch the first year. Uh, we grew half of it last year and we use it all for cattle, but this year we'll be using it for cattle and sheep. So we haven't tried it on the sheep yet, but uh, certainly going on the cattle's experience so far, we've gone quite well. What's the best way to go about feeding fodder beet? You treat it slightly differently for sheep and for cattle. So it depends what it is that you're feeding it to. Cattle are more sensitive to it, and the transition for cattle is ideally over like a three-week period to 21 days. and it needs to be quite a rigid process, your transition, to prevent the, the animals getting acidosis. It's obviously the bulb of the beet is a real sugar-rich energy feed. So you've got to be really cautious. And it's it's very different nutritionally from what they will have been on with grass that's, that's running out of steam. So it, it is quite a shift in nutrition for them. So ideally, you're looking to put them on slowly but surely. So you start off with about a kilo of dry matter per animal a day. And you don't increase that amount until everybody's eating it and every animal is eating the bulbs and there's nobody standing back. Once everybody's eating it and you're happy, then you can move move up basically by a kilo of dry matter every two days until they start to leave it. You can offer them alternative forage as well. So silage, hay, straw alongside it. And that's a, a great supplement for it. So if it's for suckler cows, You're obviously looking to have a maintenance diet, so you're not trying to maximise intake of your fodder beet. So you're ideally giving them a a good balance of your silage, um, straw, hay. If it's for growing stock, then you don't need to give them as much supplement. For cattle, you're ideally looking that you give them a metre of fence. So you're grazing it behind an electric fence, shifting it every day. And that just means that they're eating the same quantity of bulb and leaf. They're not wasting it. They're not standing all over it. 
and again they're not gorging themselves. So if you allow about a, a meter of linear fence per animal to help with the transition as well, it's really good to have a kind of arable headland or a grass headland around your field, ideally kind of a 10 meters, and then it gives gives the animals somewhere to kind of come back onto, but also that they're eating that bit of grass as well as as eating the beet just to try and help with the transition. So it's quite a rigid process. It does take your three weeks. It's really worth taking that three weeks to, to eliminate any problems. If you put them on too quick and say they get a little touch of acidosis, they feel a bit sick, you can actually train them not to eat it because they associate it with feeling sick. So if you do it nice and slowly, it helps kind of adjust your, your rumen. Sheep are a bit easier to put onto it. It's not so rigid and you can kind of do it over a couple of days with sheep. Sheep are hugely selective grazers, so they'll kind of nibble away on some headlands before they, they go onto the crop and they nibble rather than bite. Cattle tend to kind of knock the bulb over and then eat it, whereas sheep will eat it out of the ground. So they, they do eat it quite differently and the sheep will kind of self-regulate their own intakes and they, they'll go on to it slower themselves. Again, you're behind an electric fence for sheep. You're looking for about three per metre, so like 0.3 of a metre per sheep. And you don't need to move your fence every day with sheep. You can move it every second or third day. Uh, so they, they eat it very differently. They act differently on it. So there's quite a difference with how you manage the, the two types of stock. Depending if it is used for maintenance or if it's growing lambs will depend if you need that supplement of additional forage in there. But in Robbie's scenario, he'll be finishing lambs and that would require a smaller amount of supplement. But the bulb is where the energy is held. The leaf is where the protein and minerals are held. So currently, if you look at a fodder wheat crop, you'll see both bulb and leaf there. But as the winter progresses, your leaf will start to die back. And it's at that stage that your kind of protein and energy is, is slightly imbalanced for the stock. And that's when you, you need to look to start supplementing with additional protein. Robbie, that process of, of getting them onto it in the first place, I wouldn't say it sounds massively complicated, but it sounds complicated enough. How did you find it? Did it go smoothly for you? We got on okay with it because, well, we, we've done cows in that manner for a number of years on Swedes, although there was less problems with the Swedes, uh, cattle going onto the Swedes. When we put the cows onto fodder, we, we, as Kirsten said, we gave them a little bit the first day and just gradually, very slowly edged them up. And we kept them on silage for as long as they were in the transition so that they still had the food that they were, had been used to until they were up to a level that we're happy with. And then once we got to that point, we changed from silage onto straw. They, they obviously would have preferred the silage, but uh, that was uh, straw was a cheaper option and, and uh, it was dry cows, so we wouldn't want to overfeed them either. So, but once they got not past that initial transition and onto straw, they were quite happy and uh, it worked quite well, yeah. I probably should have asked this question earlier. Is fodder beet and sugar beet the same thing? They are from the same family. 
but they're they're different. So your your sugar beet, your your aim is sucrose production. So it, it's aimed at energy, it's aimed at sugar. And your varieties in your your sugar beet, they are higher dry matter. They're further into the ground as well. Whereas your fodder beet it is not so driven by sugar. They're lower dry matter and they sit further out of the ground, which makes it a lot easier to to utilize when you're grazing it in the field. But presumably, it, fodder beet will have a much higher sugar content than, say, Swedes. What I mean, what's what's how do the nutritional contents of the two compare? They are quite different, and that is why you've got to be very, very careful with your transition, just because it is such a sugar-rich feed that you're avoiding the acidosis. You've obviously got a lot more leaf there with fodder beet from what you do from from your traditional Swedes. So you've you've got a higher protein level there as well. That's why it is different, and like how Robbie's described how he put them on, that's that's absolutely perfect. Why is fodder beet becoming more popular? It is a really palatable feed. It's really digestible. It is probably one of the highest yielding forage crops in Scotland. And it would be your cheapest one um, to produce per kilo of of dry matter and per megajoule of energy. So it, it would be more expensive to grow than your traditional Swede. But what you get for that cost and what you get back in yield is so much more. It's also not a brassica, so if you've got, say, oilseed rape in your rotation, you don't need to worry about club root because it comes from the, the beet family. It is really deep rooting, more so than a than a swede, so it's it's a great break crop as well. And because you're getting that big yield, you're reducing your kind of requirement for bottom feed. It's a great energy source to, to get stock throughout the winter. And because of that, you get quite a high stocking density as well. So the likes of Robbie that's grazing his cows on it, a massive cost usually for for winter for suckler cows is taking them in-house and having straw bedding, whereas he's obviously grazing them outside. They've got got their feed there. They don't have that cost of straw and they're effectively being their own muck spreaders because everything that goes in is coming out the other end and they're spreading it across the field for them. Now you've been using the the fodder beet for three years. Have you a sense of how much money it's costing you, how much money it might be saving you across a year? Um, It's definitely more expensive to grow than Swedes, but um, the Swedes can be a very expensive crop as we've in the past have uh, had to plough down a field of Swedes because of a crop failure because of weeds or... I had to resow them because of a flea beetle. So it is more expensive to grow and the yield from it justifies that expense, but it's also a more sure crop as well because you're fairly much sure that you're going to be able to grow it through to get a crop where the sweds were a wee bit hit and miss if the weed killer didn't work. The, the limited weed killers we do have didn't work very well then. Uh, sometimes the weed, weeds just took over, you know. Have you any recommendations for other farmers who might be thinking about trying it? I would say definitely try it. It's definitely worked for us. The only thing I would say is make damn sure your electric fences are up to scratch so that the, the cattle stay on the right side. Certainly in that three-week transition period, you do not want the cattle getting through the electric fencing. 
absolutely not no and if it is a concern at all you can put a back fence up as well so there's there's effectively two fences they have to get through to get a real belly full connecting to the mains is a really good idea as well because then you get a, a fair a fair zap when they get zapped good advice good advice uh robbie thank you very much for your time today no problem that was my pleasure uh, and kirsten i'm obliged to you too thank you thank you Robin Newlands from Clooney Farm there and Kirsten Williams from SAC Consulting. If you've just come across this QMS podcast, it's probably worth telling you there is a considerable back catalogue which you might find of interest. In the meantime, I'm Mark Stephen. I hope you found this one useful. Thank you for listening to the Quality Meet Scotland podcast. For news and to listen back to previous episodes of the podcast, visit qmscotland.co.uk. For Scotch beef, Scotch lamb and specially selected pork recipe videos and inspiration, visit www.scotchkitchen.com or follow Scotch Kitchen on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter. <laughs>